we come across folks that just don't seem to know how to be a part of the team. They just don't seem to know how to do their part. And sometimes these folks that don't, know, don't play well with others, have you ever noticed sometimes they don't treat us right? And what do we want to do when folks treat us wrong? Well, we want to get even with them. We, want to, we don't want to just get even with them. We want to get ahead of them. We want to extract our pound of flesh and we want to get our revenge. We want to hurt people that hurt us and make sure we hurt them worse than they hurt us. Will Rogers, most of us remember hearing of him. Will Rogers famously made the statement he never met a man he didn't like. How many of you believe Will Rogers never met some of the folks you know? I mean, let's face it. There's some mean people in this world. I was reading the other day about a woman that got on a bus, in, uh, an inner city bus in one of our major metropolitan areas. And she was carrying her small baby, not a newborn, but you know, a couple of months old. And as she got on the bus with her baby and was about to pay her fare, the bus driver looked at her and he said, Lady, that is absolutely the ugliest baby I've ever seen in my life. Well, it caught her so by surprise, she didn't know what to say. She paid her fare. She went and sat down. And sitting there, she was visibly upset. And there was a kindly older lady sitting there next to her and showed some concern for this young mother. And she said, what's wrong, dear? She said, I don't, the, the bus driver just insulted me so badly, and I just don't know what to do about it. And this kindly older lady sitting next to her said, Well, you need to get up and go to the front of the bus and you give that bus driver a piece of your mind. Here, let me hold your monkey and you go do that. There's some folks in this world that are mean and they're difficult and they're hard to get along with. I heard about some American military officers during the Korean War. They rented a house. And these officers hired a Korean houseboy to cook for them and clean for them and do their work for them. Well, he was cheerful and he was happy and he would smile and bow and was courteous to them. And so these, young, these, these American officers, being young and full of mischief, they enjoyed playing tricks on him. So they would nail his shoes to the floor. Or they would put a bucket of water over the door so when he opened the door, the bucket of water would fall down on top of him. They, they did worse things to him even. But he always took it in a kind way, in a beautiful good humor, and would bow to them and thank them very much. And finally, it reached the point that they remembered the way their mothers had taught them and they were ashamed of themselves. So they called him in one day to talk to him, and they said, Look, we've been doing all these mean things to you, and we want you to know that you've taken it so graciously, and we really feel bad about it. We want to apologize, and we promise you we'll never do any of those mean things to you again. And he looked at him and said, 
you mean no more nail shoes to floor? They said, no more. He said, you mean no more water on door? They said, no more. Okay, then, he said, no more spit in soup. That's the kind of action that Paul is forbidding us to take in our text this morning. It's in the Roman letter in the 12th chapter. And I'm going to begin reading with verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, the sad thing is, Paul says, if your enemy's hungry, feed him, and if he thirsts, give him something to drink. And doing that, you're going to heap coals of fire on his head, figuratively speaking. Most of us have the attitude, we would rather heap real coals of fire on his head. But that's not the attitude that Paul tells us to take. And when folks do us wrong... Our attitude needs to be the attitude of Jesus. I want you to this morning see Jesus Christ hanging on the cross on Calvary's hill. The just dying for the unjust. The pure dying for the impure. The innocent dying for the guilty. And the very first words that Jesus spoke from that cross were the words of a prayer. And the prayer was for those who had put Him there. And in Luke 23 and verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Folks, that is one of the most amazing expressions you'll find on the pages of history. Jesus has been hounded. He's been betrayed. He's been beaten. He's been denied. And He's been tried before an unjust court. He's been led out of the city of Jerusalem and He's been nailed to a rough-hewn wooden cross. And His first words from the cross were, were not a complaint. His first words from the cross were not a plea for His own innocence, though He was innocent. His first words from the cross were not a statement saying, I'm going to extract my revenge on the people that put me here if it's the last thing that I do. It was not a cry for vengeance on those who crucified Him. But instead, the very first thing Jesus said from the cross was a, prayer of forgiveness 
for those that put Him there. The fact that Jesus prayed for those who put Him there to be forgiven implies His own forgiveness for them. You see, here's the truth. Only a man or a woman with a forgiving soul can pray the prayer that Jesus prayed. And that grace of forgiveness is something that each and every one of us needs a much larger measure of. There are folks in this world of ours that carry around enough hatred and malice to damn their souls to the fires of an eternal hell. People that are unstained by sensuality, people that are free from immoral practices, people that hold the esteem of their fellow man, but they have malice and hatred in their hearts for others. Beloved, our Father, our Father is not cruel. And He's not harsh. He's not stern or exacting, nor is He unrelenting in His dealings with us. In this book, our God is a God of mercy. God is far more willing to forgive and forget than we are. How many of us have had an occasion at some point in our life that someone wronged us and we said, okay, sure, let's just bury the hatchet. And we're thinking, I'd love to just bury it six inches deep in your skull right now. Or how many of us have said we're going to bury the hatchet with somebody, but we want to leave the handle sticking out in case we want to need to go back and get it sometime and use it again. Blessed is that man or that woman in whose heart is found the quality of mercy. That person that holds no malice. That person that has learned how to forgive others their trespasses. Because when I learn to forgive others, when you learn to forgive others, it is then that we are godlike. It's then that we are God's children. And it's then that we're going to receive God's mercy. There are all kinds of folks that have crossed our paths. Folks that have been in our lives that need forgiveness. We need to forgive the Judases we've known in our lives. Those who prized us less highly than they did money. Judas Iscariot spent three years with Jesus. He no doubt knew about the beautiful life of Jesus. He knew about His tender compassion. He knew about the marvelous power that He had. But Judas Iscariot thought less of Jesus than he did 30 pieces of silver. The price of a common slave in the Roman Empire. And yet... Jesus Christ was willing and Jesus was ready to forgive a penitent Judas. 
we've all known those that at some point pretended to be our friends. That were ready to sell us for the most minor of considerations. And no matter how tempted we are, we must not deal severely with them. We must lend them a helping hand. If possible, we have to save them from themselves. Those unfaithful friends that have deserted us in a critical hour, they have to be forgiven. When that mob that night entered the Garden of Gethsemane, when they laid those rough hands on Jesus, the disciples ran like roaches if you'd turn the light on in the kitchen. And they fled. And when Jesus saw them after the resurrection, how did He deal with them? He dealt kindly with them. He ever referred to them as my brethren. There may be times that we come to our hour of misfortune. A time when we fall into heartless hands. And some of our friends might desert us. We must hold no malice toward them. We must seek their fellowship. We must include them in the circle of our brethren. There are the Simons in our lives that have been too weak to own us. You remember Simon bravely said, Lord, others may deny you, but I won't. He said, I'm ready to go with you, Lord. I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to go to death. And after a few hours, that same disciple cursed. And he swore. And he said, I don't know this man. I don't have a doubt in my mind that Peter loved the Lord. But Peter was moved from his love for the Lord and his loyalty to Jesus by concern for his personal safety. The disciple denied the Master. But the Master did not deny the disciple. And after Jesus came victorious out of the grave, He found Simon and He restored him. Oftentimes, our friends are loyal. When the skies are sunny and there are no storm clouds around. But they'll deny us. Some will deny us in the hour of trial. We're tempted. Oh, oh my, how we're tempted to deal harshly with them. How we're tempted to deal severely with them. How we're tempted to, as I said before, literally heap coals of fire, real coals of fire on their head while we've got them buried up to their neck in a pit somewhere. I thought this through. But we can't. We've got to seek a loving interview with them. 
We have to resist the temptation to spit in their soup. It's just something we can't do. There are those pilots in our lives that know we're innocent, but they're too cowardly to stand up for us. That Roman governor that day, he knew that Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. But he was too fearful to defend Jesus. And yet Jesus didn't deal harshly with that Roman governor. Jesus didn't injure him. Maybe somehow at some point a pilot has entered into our lives. Someone who knows well enough that we're wholesome in character. But in that day when our character was assailed by unjust critics, they're too weak, they're too cowardly to stand by us. And to save themselves, they're willing to throw us to the wolves. We cannot be bitter toward the pilots that have come our way. They must be the object of pity. We have to forgive the Herods. Those who were too sensual and those who were too shallow to appreciate our spirituality. Pilate had sent Jesus to Herod. And that old sensualist didn't have the depth of spirituality and the depth of soul to appreciate the Son of God. There are present day Herods. Those that do not have the moral or spiritual capacity to appreciate strong manhood or pure womanhood. Sometimes it might be necessary to withdraw from the Herods in our lives. But though we withdraw ourselves from the Herods in our lives, though it might be necessary to withdraw from the, the pilots and the others in our lives, it's not necessary for us to injure them. The law of love and not the law of the jungle must prevail in our lives. You hear that? The law of love, not the law of the jungle, has to prevail in our lives. Jesus is on that cross. And the executioners that have put Him there. And it's on that uplifted cross that Jesus looks upon those Roman soldiers that had crucified Him and had nailed Him there. And for them He prays and He says, Father, forgive them. There may have been people that have wounded our body. They may have smeared our good name, a priceless possession. They may have made our heart break and bleed. They've caused us to cry bitter tears. For those people, we have to pray, Father, forgive them. We may have to withdraw ourselves from them, but we still must pray, Father, forgive them. As Jesus said, they know not what they do. Those Roman soldiers and those Jewish leaders None of those people knew what they were doing. Much of the evil they did wasn't meant for evil. It was actually meant for good. 
Jesus Himself said a time would come when those who killed His disciples would think they were doing God a service. Young Saul of Tarsus was a man like that. Cold, cruel, breathing threatenings and slaughter against the disciples. He sincerely thought he was doing God's will. There may be those who've dealt unfairly with us and unjustly with us. And some poor deluded souls that have dealt with us that way actually think they're doing God a service. And for those, we have to pray, Father, forgive them. Because you see, we've been forgiven. As a Christian, we've received the Father's forgiveness of our sins. And that kind of an experience of mercy should create in us a heart of mercy. You see, we're saved not just by the mercy we receive. We're saved by the mercy we give. That's the lesson Jesus taught in the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. If we don't forgive, folks, malice is going to multiply in our heart and stifle every noble impulse. Hatred will well up and rob us of the joy of the Christian life. The leaven of enmity will so embitter us and take form in us that our soul will lose the sweetness that Jesus has put there. The heaviest of all hearts is the unforgiving heart. We can't live together, work together, and enjoy the Christian life together till we learn how to forgive. And the prayer on our lips must ever be the prayer of Jesus. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do question is, are you living for Jesus this morning? Are those that see you, are they able to see Jesus in your life? Do they see a spirit of forgiveness and love? Do they see a spirit of revenge and retaliation? No one ever said it would be easy. It's a battle we have to fight every day. Because it's a battle with the flesh. It's a battle with our nature. But with the power of God and the help of God, we can overcome. I don't know what the need of your life might be. Whether it's to become a Christian or come back to the Lord, but if we can help you, the Lord extends His invitation as we stand and while we sing.